what a wild, strange trip uh, the last season in the Big Ten West was. Uh, finished exactly how we expected with a low score, blocked punts, bad officiating, you know, the usual Big Ten West con- configuration. But uh, I was on top, Joel. Here we are. Uh, Episode 16 of the 12 Saturdays podcast and celebrating a Big Ten West Division Championship, the last Big Ten West Division Championship of all time. Uh, got there in a weird way, but it is what we predicted. What, <laughs> what, what are you, some of your takeaways from uh, uh, Black Friday last week? Well, I think first things first, I'll get in trouble if I don't give him credit, but a few weeks at the beginning of the season, Matt Messenger from the Trophy Dads was on, and he predicted that Iowa would go 11-1 and with their only loss being against Penn State. And I think you can argue that 11-1 and with an asterisk, or 10-2 and with an asterisk, is applicable. Yes. And I don't know that I'll be able to go to family Christmas if I don't give Matt his proper, his proper credit and due here for making that prognostication, but there was just something about this week that feels a little different for me as a fan. And you know, I don't know if it's coming off the pneumonia and maybe it's a little medical induced or fever dreams, but this team, and I don't know if it's also because when I was a kid, like I've just craved competition. Like we have an opera. Iowa has an opportunity to do things that they shouldn't be doing something I'm familiar with someone with my talent level and skill level. Uh, I somehow seem to always find myself in opportunities for victory. I grew up in a hometown that holds the Guinness book of world records for consecutive losing seasons in high school football. I was a part of the senior class that never had a losing season. I was a very small part of that success, but I still was a part of it. Then I find myself at a college with one of the richest losing traditions in NCAA division two history And then find my way on the coaching staff as they build themselves into an NAIA superpower. I love being the underdog and watching this Iowa football season. They're now the barbarian horde of Hannibal the Great. And we're seeing togetherness that I've never seen before. We're seeing a team come together and they're becoming one of my favorite teams in program history. The leadership of the coaches we're seeing Terry Kirk. We're seeing fiery coaches on the sideline. We're seeing Phil Parker talking in the locker room with his helmet, you know, giving Kirk uh, a helmet after he passes Bo Schembechler. This team refuses to accept the reasonable fate of failure. And there's so many parallels to the Ridley Scott movie Gladiator, which is my favorite movie of all time. And that's why I think we have to ask ourselves as Hawkeyes, how can we not be entertained by what we're seeing every Saturday And now the barbarians at the gate are not the Michigan Wolverines. They are Rome in the Coliseum. And all that they have to do is they have to try and live up to this empirical uh, reputation that they have with this meek Commodus like leader, Jim Harbaugh, who has to cheat his way to, to the top. And meanwhile, here comes Kirk Ferentz, just like Maximus Brian, just like Maximus, he's already (laughs) dead. You know, he is already dead floating through the Elysium fields. And now all Iowa has to do, they have no load to carry. All they can do, all they have to do is be 125 armor clad black and gold Hawkeyes. And they've got a chance to screw up college football forever. Just like Maximus screwed up the, the 150 days of celebration for Commodus. And they just, all they have to do 
is do whatever the hell they want and be Big Ten champions one last time for the West. Well, that's, that's, that, is, <laughs> that is a beautiful dream. And uh, from, from your lips to uh, Zeus's ears, I guess, or, or I don't know, maybe it's Jupiter. I don't know who the Roman main god was. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that would be great. It, it would be fantastic. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a tall order, but I, I don't think it's impossible. I do think we it's have not that some... tall. What, I, I mean, it's such a, I mean, just believe in yourself. I mean, every single guy on that team is capable of doing one thing. Great. And all it has to do is fall in line. The pressure is on Michigan. Have that fun. is a hundred, hundred percent true. And, and speaking of pressure, I want to uh, bring in our fantastic guest this week. Uh, you know, this game came down as so many Iowa games do to the leg of a kicker. Um, uh, this guy is the father of former Hawkeye great uh, kicker, Miguel Racinos. It's uh, Rene Racinos. Uh, I don't know if you mind if we use your uh, Hawkeye on three Hawkeye report board name, Rene. Oh, that's fine. River City Jazz Man. Uh, here and uh you love games that come down to a last second kick don't you oh well you know uh do i love them i mean i think that i take great pride in uh what kickers do uh i joel and i were visiting before the podcast we both coach i still coach and i'm proud to say i i coached uh two kickers to all state uh nominations or awards this year so as a teacher, that makes me very happy. Um, and, you know, I had a, a little part to play in Miguel's process. So as I watch our, the Iowa kickers uh, past and present uh, performing, you better believe uh, I know that they're capable of, of making it. And I, I'm not Matt Marshall meter, but he's the latest mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the tradition of hitting game winners, although his, uh, his statistics are even more remarkable, right? His first uh, kick as a Hawkeye is a winner. And, and let's be honest, there's a real possibility he's one for one in his career and doesn't yeah. get another shot. And that's not a knock on him. I think we all can agree that Drew Stevens is a very talented kicker. But for one reason or another, the last couple weeks have just not been, it's just not been there. And mm-hmm. I, I know that people like to talk about the yips. I'm a former pitching coach. Like John Lester had his whole issue, you know, throwing the first base for the Cubs. You know, many years ago, Steve Sachs, Chuck Knobloch, there's all kinds of things in sports that we see it. And to me, the the thing that seems off, and I don't want to go too armchair quarterback, but I'm going to because, you know, that's what I do, is I went back and I watched every kick from 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 Friday. And uh, the first kick that he gets to delay a game on, he was at Torrey's point. Torrey was on the ground at the tee. He was at Torrey's point with 21 seconds left on the play clock. So I think the official hovered because there was a substitution thing so that he didn't set up, but he didn't. It took him 11 seconds to get to his three steps back, three steps over. And then he did a thing with his hand. It just, it, he just took him too long. And, and I noticed that going all the way back to uh, the Northwestern game, there's something in that first kick that he tries He's taking a little bit longer to set up. And I think that that just kind of screwed up his whole momentum because he's he's thinking too much while he's setting up. It's like Sergio Garcia standing over the ball. And I think that there's something to be said for a quicker approach. And uh, 
and then not giving the defense a chance to to, to leverage the the line, which there is some illegality going on in Nebraska punt uh, field goal block too. After further review by me, so yeah, it's you know, I mean, there are so many things you could say about um, that situation, but I would say that um, kicking like. Swing, swinging objects, uh, be it a baseball bat or a golf club, is so much muscle memory. And so as I coach my specialists, I tell them that you really need to enter into a zone where you're comfortable and allow your body to do what you've taught it to do over those hundreds of hours um, developing your skill set. So um, I can say, you know, I noticed a few things uh, as well because Iowa has uh, set up uh, – going, I don't even remember how far back, but basically they spot the ball eight yards from line of scrimmage. And so uh, I had two former alumni watching the game with me. Miguel was one of them. Eric Lensing, who's kicker for UNI, probably will start next year, uh, was there. And we were all debating because it looked like they were, Corey was spotted at seven and a half yards. So, you know, inches matter in this particular thing. And so, yeah, I feel bad for Drew. Um, I, I sincerely hope that you can work through it. Drew is an outstanding kicker. I mean, he's got tremendous leg strength. So if it's in our best interest, if Drew can solve the problem and move forward, because we're, we're going to need him. We're going to need the, him. And the missed field goals are what we all can talk about. Cause while two blocks, that's there, there's some whole operation evaluation that needs that I'm sure happened on Sunday afternoon in the film study. I'm sure LeVar knowing LeVar as well as I do that, he coached them pretty hard. I have a feeling on Sunday and the, but the other thing, the thing that's just inexcusable and that's a hard word to say are the kickoffs out of bounds. Like that is just, that is such detrimental yardage. And so that that's an absolute no, no. And I think that when you look at the whole completion of, of the day, to me, those are the bigger sins that kicking, kicking it out of bounds is, the equivalent of a running back fumbling, in my opinion. And you just can't do it twice. And and sometimes sometimes a coach's job is, you know what, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take you out of a situation, let you lick your wounds and recover, and let somebody else take a shot. So, so Renee, how do you think it works this week in practice then? Is this, is this Drew's job to win back through his performance and – practice or or if you're in that in the in that coaching situation how do you approach this week well i mean i would say that from what i from what i've learned uh drew's struggles uh, and i watched him live um other than this last game i watched him all in the home games and his he's been struggling going back probably two games uh home games and so um he definitely uh this, you know, I, if I sat them down on Sunday, I would have sat them down each of them separately and uh, and basically made it clear to them that what they do in practice this week is going to determine who I would start. Um, but again, it's very similar to Miguel's uh, 2016 year when Keith had beat him out, but Keith didn't have the leg at that point. So Miguel was clearly the stronger kicker. Uh, and uh, Miguel had a very poor camp, uh, and that's why Keith got their starting nod, and Keith took the ball and ran with it, much to his credit, but Keith didn't have a strong leg, so Miguel was in that situation where he had to kick, he had to perform his way back into the good graces of the coaching staff to have the trust in him to take long kicks, 
and that's a, another discussion because it's very, he, he was in the worst situation imaginable because he wasn't doing kickoff work. So he literally was just doing long kicks, which is, you know, you jack up the pressure like times 10 right. situation. But here, the main thing is uh, Drew is kicking the ball low. He's kicking the ball like he's kicking a 50 yarder uh, when he's sitting, kicking a very close range shot. So he needs to bring his trajectory up. And uh, as Joel mentioned, you know, his cadence uh, may not be his normal pattern. Uh, and for me, I when I coach kickers, I very much coach them into developing a habit, uh, both with how they approach their preparation for the game, how they warm up during the game, where they set up, you know, all that stuff. And it doesn't look like Drew is is using his normal habits. And so when that happens, then you're not letting muscle memory take its uh, role. You're thinking about things. And you don't really want to be thinking too much in those situations. You really don't. Um, and I agree, Joel, uh, kickoffs out of bounds are part of that, um, you know, hidden yardage that we talk about in football. And when you lose 15 yards on a kickoff, that's a big deal. I mean, uh, it, you know, the game is a game of possession and the uh, it's literally you play odds. The further they have to travel, the less likely they are to score. Well, and especially for Iowa. I mean, Iowa's the whole strategy is based around, you know, control what you can control, you know, gain every yardage advantage you can in the margins and let the other team beat itself. So when you're the one making the errors, you're just making your job exponentially harder. Um, another thing I'm curious about, how how does the interpersonal relationship work with multiple kickers on the team? Is there, I mean, obviously, you know, and I'm sure it's different for every guy. Every guy's got a different psychology to it, but, uh, I got to feel like that that's got to be kind of one of those weird things where you're like bonded as the special team specialist, but you also want to beat, beat the other guy as well. Um, talk a little bit about the psychology of that. Well, you know, again, I mean, I, I can address it from the standpoint of what Miguel went through and then how I, I run things. I mean, yes, that it definitely, and I tell my kickers, you know, they're just because my senior is coming back but like this year, my senior uh, was named All-State punter uh, in 3A for the second year running. But when he came into camp, I said, just because you're an All-State punter doesn't mean you are our starter. Everybody's got to um, earn their role. Every year is a new year. And so uh, very much that's one of the reasons why I became a big fan of uh, Kirk Ferentz, because he says the same thing that I do. Or I say the same thing he does, I guess, at the moment, <laughs> you know, however you want to look at it. But uh, his his philosophy is very much similar to my philosophy. And so I can say that during Miguel's years, they developed um, friendships, lasting friendships. So he and uh, Marshall Kane, uh, he and uh, Keith Duncan uh, remain friends to this day. I mean, uh, Miguel was, uh, I don't know if he stood up in Marshall's wedding or he was at the wedding. He did stand up in his, his wedding. So, I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things where all of them know what it's like to be in that position and so their battles are held in camp and in practice so by the time you go to a game everyone's unified you stand behind your starter and you support him to the best of your ability and that includes giving them intel and feedback on how things are going or what they think wind conditions are like and you can see that um uh, Drew and Tori have good dialogue. I don't know much about Marshall, and, and I, but I will say that during Miguel's years, uh, he and Marshall Kane uh, definitely were helping one another, uh, and Marshall came to really trust Miguel's uh, uh, point of view. So I think 
I think the the battle isn't during the game. I mean, you you definitely want to be presenting a united front. You beat on each other during practice, but then you know, uh, come game time, the starter is a starter, and you support him. Um, but you know, credit to uh, Lavar that he prepares um, his backup as well as he has because Marshall came in and produced when he absolutely Marshall Meter had came in and produced when he absolutely had to, and clearly he uh, he was informed and ready mentally at least to step up. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know that there's been some hearsay as to whether there was a dust up on the sidelines uh, between uh, Ryan Ferentz and Drew Stevens. And uh, it's it's just really interesting to me. I'm not saying it didn't happen because I'm sure that it did. And I know that there's parents who have been involved on social media and whatnot, which is just just I'm not going to get into that. But parents, if you're listening, don't do that. Just don't don't do it. It's bad. No, no matter if you're right, it's still a bad idea. Um, but I'm just shocked, you know, in a world where we have videos of like ball boys making obscene gestures to fans behind a bench, you know, down in Texas and whatnot. We have everyone has a video camera. If there was if there there was something so egregious that was taking place on the sideline, and there's so many people who were so close to that action. I'm, I'm just shocked no one took a video of it. I, w- I would really be curious to see. I mean, th- there has to be some camera in that stadium that caught some sort of dust up if it was so bad. What I'm trying to say is I don't think it was anything different than just two competitors having a moment of competition. And 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 that, that happens on the sideline. I can't tell you how many times I haven't seen coaches and players yelling at each other on the sideline. And it's really not that big of a deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, not having witnessed it, I guess I'm not going to comment about that, but I'll just say that in my experiences, uh, football is a game of passion. So, you know, I mean, when somebody makes a great play, everybody gets stoked. That's the nature of the sport. And so when things aren't working, generally, I'll say, and I am of the uh, uh, point of view that you never call out, and I'm not, this isn't commenting on Drew's situation because I just don't know, but I'm just saying that for me, I always teach my players, if you got an issue with a teammate or a coach, let's work it out in practice. Let's address it person to person, man to man, or, you know, because I coach some females too, so person to person. Um, but don't don't throw your teammates uh, under the bus or don't do anything that can be perceived as giving the other the opponent ammunition. So. For me, that's I approach that from the beginning. And that's why when I, I posted earlier about Marshall Kane's interview, it's a great interview uh, because that game, the the starter had not been decided on. They had they had elected uh, Chris White had made the decision that he was going to have uh, Nick Mick Ellis kick the shorter kicks and Marshall Kane kick the longer kicks. And they supposedly had a line established. But at one point in that game, if you guys were there, you saw it happen. Both kickers ran onto the field and. And then everybody was kind of pointing, looking at everybody. White was gesticulating wildly. And then Marshall Kane said, I'm stepping up. And he took the kick. Uh, whether or not that was, you know, what the coaches wanted, I don't know. But Marshall and Mick missed kicks in that game. And the uh, the reporters, the media, understandably, said, hey, you know, what's, what's up with that? And Marshall, to his credit, stepped up, didn't throw anybody under the bus. He said, I need to do better. I am responsible for that, and I need to, I need to take leadership. 
And that literally was the watershed moment in his career, man. Marshall grew up in front of us because Marshall always had a cannon of a leg, but he was always wild child. So I, I know that firsthand as I was a high school coach defeated by a 50-yard field goal by Marshall Kane as when he was the kicker at Solon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I witnessed Marshall's prowess at a very young age. And it should, you should no one should be surprised by that kid's competitive nature given being the, the grandson of Jim Zaleski, who is the wrestling coach who followed Dan Gable at Iowa. So, I mean, he's that, that dude had competition in his blood. So I think, so, you know, as I've known the kickers that from Mike Meyer on down and even uh, Nate, all of them have a common element in that they look to themselves first if something is going wrong. And I don't know Drew well enough to say that, but I, it, it was disappointing to hear that that was even a possibility uh, in terms of, because one thing I read was whether or not it's true if Drew was screaming at his offensive lineman, you know, that that's a practice. That, that'd be something that you might do in practice, but if that really happened in the game, boy, that'd be tough. Yeah, I mean, you got to think, though, that is frustration uh, with yourself can manifest itself sometimes as uh <laughs> towards others as well. So, you know, and he's a young guy, so I'm willing to cut him some slack there. I guess um, my other thing though, too, as a fan base, as we observe, and I say, we you know if you observe that that's okay. If yeah. they're getting into it with each other on the sideline, let that, let this organization, which is a fraternal organization is completely insulated that they need to be viewed as a completely insulated organism. They are going to police that themselves. They're going yeah. to handle that themselves. To me, the narrative of no adult should ever, you know, be that aggressive towards a college athlete. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's not Bob Knight. He didn't he didn't choke him out like this isn't a situation where anything was no one's personal safety was in danger from as far as I can tell. Just let these people compete and get at it with each other and fix it, because I can guarantee you in that locker room. There's a 6'6", 300-pound lineman saying, hey, dude, we'll get their hands down. Don't ever talk to me like that again. <laughs> like, I, I can tell you that that's going to happen. And it's fine. You know, that's 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 the way a, a team dynamic works. There's, you should also just never piss off your lineman. That, that's just a general rule. <laughs> that's just and a good life rule, right, Joel? I mean. <laughs> I, I, I will t- I've told this story before, not on this podcast, but on other podcasts. Um, my dad was an old high school center. His quarterback was a hothead and then yelled at the lineman in the in the huddle in the high school game. They were up by like 20. And my dad and the five linemen went to the line and they said, all right, nobody move on this play. So my dad <laughs> snapped the ball and they just let the entire Missouri Valley defensive line cross and smoke the quarterback. And as they got back in the huddle, my dad said to Donnie, don't ever talk to us like that again. Like, don't ever do it. And from that point forward, they were fine. Like, it's just like, yeah. you just have to police yourself and it's going to be okay. And kickers, sometimes I'm not saying it's right, but sometimes they're not considered the same level of teammate. But I think in Iowa, LeVar does a really good job because listen, you that's an important position. How many games in the last 20 years have come down to a, 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 a kicker winning the ball game? You know, going all the way back to, to my contemporary, we're the same age. Nate Katie, like he, it all started with Nate and winning the Alamo Bowl in 2001. They get definitely treated as uh, equals. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we really appreciate it because, you know, of all the schools that recruited Miguel, 
that was a feature that stood out. Um, I just wanted to circle back. One thing, though, I will say is that I think the reason why this is generating so much uh, interest in the fan base, honestly, is because of the lens. It's the same lens that's being turned on Brian Ferentz. I mean, mm-hmm. there's this crazy contingent that are just doing like Monty Python's Life of Brian fanatics chasing <laughs> after uh, Brian on whether Brian is wearing Hawkeye logos or not. I'm like, give me a right. flip and break. You know, <laughs> the man bleeds black and gold. And so he's at the end of his career. And whether he does or doesn't, I mean, if he showed up in, you know, Michigan blue, that'd be different. But it's the same kind of fascination. And I think it's you being used to distort whatever's going on. I, you know, football is a game of alphas. Everybody out there is an alpha dog. So, yeah. you know, there's got to be yelling. Who cares? You know, oh, that's yeah. Is it a bad thing to mention that Kirk's oldest daughter is a Michigan grad? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the the Brian thing to me is also just so disappointing in that, you know, you, you, you got, we got, you got what you wanted. He's, he's let go. Why do you need a pound of flesh? I mean, what did the guy do other than try to win football games? I mean, and and continue to, to, to win. And to actually win football games. Okay. Now the critics will say in spite of the offense and whatever, but you know, you can't see that's Iowa scored more points than the opponents scored. And many of those points were scored by the Iowa offense. That's just the the way it is. So the organism that is football, you can't, you can't take out one third of the equation and say that equals the the final score. You just can't. The game does not allow for that. And the, the whole discussion on the whole uniform and everything. I'll tell you this. I have some personal experience. I was in a professional situation where we were replacing a group of people that they were training us to take their jobs. And it was horribly awkward. And I can tell you from that point forward, the minute those people got that announcement, uh, the woman told me, she's like, I got rid of every piece of clothing I had that had our company logo on it. She's like, I, I stopped wearing it to the office. I, I, I got a different backpack that didn't have the company logo on it. It's a totally valid reaction to say, listen, I will still do the job that you're asking me to do, but I'm not going to go run the, the corporate flag for, for you right now. I mean, I'm, I'm going to just do my job. That's what Brian's doing. And he's I doing mean, a good job. I mean, as a form of mild protest, I find it a little bit petty, but, you know, but I, what's, I'm not going to What's more petty, making a fake Twitter account uh, that said that this continuing to lambaste somebody or not wearing a sweatshirt with the Iowa logo. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I, like I said, it's a mild, uh, it's a, I find it to be a little bit off putting, but I understand it. So, I, I mean, and we are all entitled to our opinion, uh, you know, you're wrong, Tori. I might be, I am willing to entertain that notion, but let's, let's talk about Michigan. And I, I'm curious to get Renee's take on uh, you know, the, the mighty Wolverine, uh, I think you were, uh, on hold, but listening when Joel went into his fever dream of, uh, you know, sweaty gladiators and barbarians, you think Iowa has a pretty good shot here, Renee, or what what are you seeing? What are you feeling? Well, I mean, you know, is it possible we could win? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it it would be ludicrous to suggest otherwise. Is it probable that we will win? No. It isn't. Um, a series of events would have to occur, all being linked 
to be successful for us to win the game. Um, I mean, we're going to, I think we're capable of doing things that will surprise Michigan at least two or three times during the game. Um, and I can't get more specific than that, but I, I would just say that, you know, we have the ability to do that, but is that enough to win a game? No, it isn't. Um, we're going to have to, things are going to have to fall our way. You know, football uh, truly is a game of inches. And I would say to you guys, you know, um, part of what has made Kirk Ferentz so good at what he does is he has really done a good job of teaching his young men how to deal with adversity because mm -hmm. adversity hits all of us. It's how we react to that adversity that defines us as mediocre, crappy, great, or otherwise. And so, um, uh, and it, it literally, there's going to have to be situations where, um, you know, uh, we'll get breaks to go our way. And I, I just, uh, and it will be, you know, these razor thin margins. I mean, that's what, I think Ferris has said it a couple times, but literally those are the, those, there's one or two plays in a game that will usually define the game. And so whether it goes your way or not, um, is so sometimes random. I mean, uh, you know, during the years that our son was playing, I remember games like that, like, uh, at home against Penn state, Penn state driving to win the game. And on the winning pass, literally the ball just goes, I swear to God, it was inside of an inch past the defender's hand. I mean, that's how yep. close it was. So here, Saturday, we're going to have to have several of those seemingly ultra-close events occurring and breaking in our favor to win. So, What's just so interesting to me, though, is you look at everyone say the Big Ten is the worst Power 5 conference in football this year, which I don't agree. I think it's the Big 12. But uh, – the you look at the defensive stats, Michigan number one in the nation in defensive points allowed per game, 10.3. Ohio State is number two with 11. Penn State is number three with 11.4 points per game. And then here's Iowa at 12.2 points per game. So both of these teams are built the same way, it's built on the defensive side of the ball. So that could be really equalizing. And then it, to me, to me, this game comes down to that magical third phase of the game and it's special teams. And we're, I, I wonder if we see one of those LeVar Woods fake field goal type things that we just, uh, that he, that was the year 2015, they, they had some magic in, and in 2017 up in Minnesota, they ran a fake field goal to Hawkinson to, for a touchdown. I mean, there's a two point conversion. There's, there's some opportunities, I think, to to steal something in the margin that is special teams on Saturday. Well, and you know, you know, Joel, what, what I'm so interested in seeing is, you know, I think, you know, yes, Iowa's offense struggled this year and it had challenges. And, you know, of course, um, you know, not having your starting quarterback, not having Lachey and all, you had a lot of problems. They purposely played very conservatively a do no harm first as your first rule. This being the team that's playing with house money that everybody thinks is going to lose in the championship game, do you think we're going to maybe see them roll the dice and, and be a little bit more aggressive? Or do you think they that they, on the other hand, probably the only real way to beat Michigan is to be very conservative, play field position, run as much clock as you can. So how, how do you, how would you approach it from a strategic coaching standpoint? Aggressive well, or conservative? I'll the, thing I go first. 
Yeah, the thing I've seen, uh, I would say, Tori, that makes me optimistic is that the game is finally slowing down for Deacon. I We have seats in the north end zone. So I, I love that perspective because you see the line splits. And you can see what the quarterback is processing on the field, but from the perspective of, you know, way up. So you can see the entire field and you can see Deacon as he's going through his progressions. The game is finally slowing down for him. So I will tell you that I'm of the opinion as a coach, you can't scheme your way to a win without having athletes that can produce what you expect them to do. So Deacon is finally getting to the point where he can be processing the game in a somewhat efficient manner. Finally, in the last game, we saw Deacon sense, have a pocket presence and scramble for a big game. Yeah. He had two other opportunities in that home, last home game to scramble, and he didn't, and he got sacked, and that lost yardage. He's going to have to play with pocket presence on Saturday to not lose those ridiculous 10 and 15 yard. You can't, it's almost, it's almost impossible to overcome them unless you have superior talent when you're, you know, first and 20, first and 25, you know, those ridiculous. So quarterback play, I think is going to be super, super important. I, I will tell you that Brian Ferentz has some amazing plays that he's called. I mean, Miguel would say that Ferentz would often call up these crazy plays, but that athletes would have to say, coach, we can't do that. We can't execute that play. So it's not that Ferentz doesn't have a uh, the ingenuity to call stuff uh i think he's uh overly um aggressive and sometimes has to be tempered by what his athletes can do but i think here you know our run blocking has gotten gotten better uh and i'm going to go out on a limb i'll tell you guys i think iowa has the best defense nationally regardless of the statistics the reason i'm saying that is because iowa's defense has been on the field if you yes. somebody has got to track this if I would bet you Iowa's defense has been on, on the field longer than any other national top 10 team, mm -hmm. top 10 defense nationally. Michigan's defense is so good because they're often, in part because their offense is so damn good, they get a rest. Yeah. So if we, if Iowa can produce on offense, that's going to make our defense really uh, continue to produce at a high level. We got to have that because if we, if we're going, you know, three and out in the first half consistently, our defense is going to wilt in the second half. And and that's what happened against Penn State. You, I went back and rewatched that game specifically last night, and I truly believe if Eric All doesn't fumble that ball, that that's a completely different game. Those are those are those examples of the the narrow margins that Kirk was talking about in his press conference today, where uh, and I and I'm, I'm not trying to if this if that, but if Iowa gets three points out of that drive. That changes the the play calling. It just changes the play calling for Penn State, and then it, it it started a whole it starts a whole chain reaction. And I'm curious to see if Iowa can can keep that chain reaction moving in their in their favor on Saturday. And I and I believe that playing with the freedom of nothing to lose really helps you in that environment. So. Uh, it certainly will be liberating that as far as that goes. You know, and I think Tori had brought up the subject of trick plays. I'll just tell you that I think it was 17 was a high watermark for trick plays by special teams, and that's because they had tremendous athletes. I mean, get Miguel, for example, was really, really fast, actually. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, Colton, even though Colton Rastetter, even though he was much maligned at times as a punter, was a former uh, quarterback. And so when he uh, threw the ball, he threw it because he had experience. Corey, as great as a punter as he is, to have him throw a ball, I don't know. I mean, right, he kicked the ball off the ground in one of his first games. So the guy doesn't know football. He doesn't have years and years of experience. I don't know that we've got it in us to be doing something, some trickeration on uh, special teams in particular because we're struggling in the kicking game. So I don't. Is it legal to like kick a punt to your own player as a receiver like they do Australian rule style? Because I bet he could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he could do a lot of things with his feet. I don't know that this legal. <laughs> I was thinking maybe more him running the ball, like doing like a, a holder trap sort of thing, especially with this tackle over formation they've been running and how teams have been flooding it. There's I I drew up a fake that I think could be executed um, from back in my time. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. But Joel, you, Joel, you, you need a new hobbies, man. You need some new hobbies. You're on I a have, plate watching have, loss, 31 to nothing losses on tape. Come on. I have, man. I have a yellow legal pad that has been or it's different. But I, I, I sleep with one next to my bed and I kid you not about once every couple of weeks I wake up. And have to write a play down that I've thought of. Like I'm not quite the coach and Henry Winkler and Waterboy, but I, I do have I do have that uh, that gene in me. To, well, and I just I just hope that you know everyone's favorite darling Ryan Grubb uh, sparks the creativity in Brian on that fourth and one uh, reverse call that Washington executed this over the weekend. That was the mm-hmm. ballsiest call I've seen. And one of the most beautiful, simple trick play designs that I've seen in a long time. I think that's the thing that Iowa does well is because their offense is so formulaic, you, you can build a simple exotic play that builds off of their formula that actually can be very good. And honestly, it does, these plays don't work against crappy defenses like Minnesota or some of these, uh, some of these undisciplined defenses like Nebraska. They work against highly skilled, highly disciplined defenses like Michigan because their guys are reading keys. So if you can create some window dressing, create a key that sets a trap, this is how you can beat teams with a trick play. That's why sometimes trick plays work so well against Iowa is because they're so damn disciplined in their keys and their and their readings that if you if you trick them, they, they have a chance. And well, to, to, to throw a little to throw a little love at Brian Ferentz, that that little uh, shovel pass right through the middle was one of those that you're talking about. And that was a brilliant play call. And, it, you know, it was funny because it looked so dangerous in live real time. But then when you watch how it was executed, I mean, it was a thing of beauty and it was actually a easy, quote unquote, easy play, but uh, just executed perfectly. So, well, and the the wheel route to Hayden large in the red zone that they were incomplete on it, but he, it was a well-designed play, but Ragini was lazy and didn't get set before he went in motion. And even if we had completed it, it would have been an illegal shift. Uh, I mean, those are the things that I was got it in them. They have it in them and they have yet to play a perfect game. And I don't expect, expect them to play a perfect game on Saturday, but I just feel like it's a lot more productive as a fan base for us to all wake up with our full Ted Lasso approach here and just believe <laughs> like what, what joy is it? And, and, and I mean, what, what is so wrong in your psyche 
that you, that you have to just already be prepared for, for misery. Love, believe in it. Be distraught because you care so much. That's a good feeling in me. For me, I would much rather, you know, be as optimistic and as 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 and full of hope and belief to to be crestfallen than to be get to say midway through the third quarter. Well, I knew it was going to go this way. Ooh, great, cool. You're the you're the Eeyore at the party. You're awesome. <laughs> like that's just maybe that's just me. I'm just not built that way. But uh, uh, my whole approach to competition is is everyone's going to tell you why you're going to lose. All it need takes is all those guys in that locker room to know why they're going to win. And I think that's what Ference does such a good job of doing in these situations because right, wrong or indifferent, you know, you see some people who claim he's an arrogant prick. Uh, You know what? He probably is a little bit arrogant and that's why he's on the cusp of being the winningest football coach in the history of the big 10 conference. That. Think about that, listeners. That is not Woody Hayes, not Alonzo Stagg, not Bo Schembechler, Kirk Ferentz. And it's a road that's been less traveled. No one would have the University of Iowa pegged as the top of that of that mountain. And this is just one more step towards that goal. Well, the, I think the I agree with the points you're making, and I mean, you know, going back to what I said earlier, Joel, everyone on the field is an alpha. That includes the coaches. You have to be. Hundred percent. You have to believe. You can't go in there going, "What was me?" Because you're going to suck, stink up the joint. Now, the worst thing I think we can do as a fan base is not show up on Saturday. I know. I know. Speaking for myself, I'm not going. Um, but I sincerely hope that we have that stadium with as many Iowa fans as possible, because we need to make it sound like a home game for our guys. And I would hate to see, you know, just a couple thousand Iowa fans there and be swamped by Michigan. That would be very tough. Well, what I didn't realize, and I learned this today, the reason there were so many freaking Michigan fans there in 2021, and there were, I mean, there were still a good number of Iowa fans. I'd say it was probably 60, 40. Uh, but that was their first ever appearance in the Big Ten Championship game. So that was kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, I do worry, you know, Harbaugh's back. They're going for the playoff. You know, they smell blood in the water here. But, you know, to Joel's point, uh, barbarians of the gate, I guess, you know, like, like just stack the odds and uh, and then take your shot, I guess, is 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 the way to look at it, right? Well, Joel said we're playing with house money, and I agree. And I, I, and as I said, I think we're going to have two or three surprises for Michigan, and I think most of those surprises will be our offense. So I think Brian Ferentz will make some play calls. I mean, I, I've been a Brian Ferentz fan for a long time, but I will say that I think he, in my opinion, he's been calling – his last several games have been increasingly better and better in terms of his performance as an offensive coordinator. So I think we're going to see him surprise Michigan with some – some fakes uh, from the offensive perspective. I just don't think, unless we got a couple guys in the shield, Joel, that were former quarterbacks, there's no way they're freaking risking Tory. It'd have to be a shield guy that would maybe throw a pass or, you know, scramble or something. That's right. I guess I need to pay closer attention to the shield, but uh, um, it's who, who knows? Maybe, maybe honestly, from a punt standpoint, the best weapon is the right foot of Tory Taylor. So him putting it at the five or, or closer to the goal line is better than any fake, honestly. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm just curious. Maybe, maybe, maybe we see Ontario Thompson 
at the fullback position and you just send this big fridge Perry refrigerator Perry type situation going through. I don't know. I mean, I just think that uh, there is also no greater feeling on a sideline than when somebody standing next to you whispers, we're running the annexation of Puerto Rico right here. And everybody <laughs> on the sideline is like, what? We're doing it? We, I mean, we've been practicing it all year. We're actually going to do it. And then everybody is just watching, waiting. And no one knows. The only people who know are the people on the team. And as an assistant coach, there's no greater feeling as a former special teams coordinator than the head coach saying, fake it. Like, just like when you get that option that you you know you get to call your play, like – it, it is an invigorating experience, and uh, I, I hope I hope we see it. And maybe it's a surprise onside kick. You know, maybe it's something like that that's in the in the wings. If the if the situation dictates where that field position risk is worth the is worth the bargain, but it's I, I'm not I'm not saying that we're all of a sudden going to turn into you know riverboat Kirk, but let's just see if, if the situation calls for it. What, what do you got to lose? What do you have to lose? Gus Johnson. Let's, let's get him excited. You know, let's, let's figure out a way to, to, to get that broadcast popping because the other thing that's so dangerous, and I don't know that Michigan has really experienced yet this year is, is doubt. I don't, if you can get them to doubt each other and doubt themselves, um, I'm really curious to see how they handle that. And what is your guys, what is your take on this whole Jim Harbaugh situation? I personally think that this is not being given the seriousness that it, that it should be. If what is alleged to be true and they have truly forward scouted these things, that is one illegal and two, a distinct advantage to have that much forward information available. I, I think that this to me is a gross, uh, a violation by this Michigan staff. Well, I, I guess I could take the first stab at it. I mean, I find Jim Harbaugh just to be weird. Like I like he's almost like a cartoon villain character now at this point. And honestly, I think that might be part of the reason why people just kind of roll their eyes and move on. You know, like, oh yeah, of course he was doing some nefarious shady shit. He's Jim Harbaugh, the weirdo that jumps in pools with teenagers and says odd things all the time. I mean, the guy's just kind of a kook and I know he's worn on his welcome at every other stop he's had. And I, you know, it's interesting. He gets the buy-in from his players, but I, I don't know enough about, you know, the rule, you know, you have some people saying, Oh, everybody does it. I don't know about that. I think that's probably BS, but you know, I, I, I can't wrap my brain around it very well. I don't know. What do you see Renee? I'll be honest with you both. I don't, I really don't know anything about it, but I will just add one hilarious anecdote. And that is my younger son is a huge Michigan fan, which I've nearly written him out of my will on three occasions <laughs> for. But he and his brother, Miguel, are big Jim Harbaugh fans. I don't know what it's about Harbaugh that the younger generation identifies with him, but um, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, Joel, if, he, if he's doing something inappropriate, it needs to be called. Well, what the allegations are is that they've had this this special assistant who is purchasing tickets and setting up cameras and recording entire games and was able to to break the code of what hand signals were and what play calls were and you know and they found laminated sheets 
that said this hand signal equals this, like on the sidelines at Michigan, uh, allegedly. So, I mean, and that is, that is a big deal in my opinion. Now, now could that information be gleaned in real time, you know, during a game, a hundred percent and a hundred percent people watch film and try to steal the signal. But the fact is, is you can't be acquiring additional assets to, to solidify the code break. So that's where my issue is, is yes, other teams steal signals. No one is saying that they don't, but it's the, it's the additional resources that were utilized to create this distinct advantage, even going as far as allegedly the one guy sneaking onto the sideline at central Michigan uh, against Michigan state. So there's just I, I, a lot of weirdness with it all. It is weird. Everything about it is weird. And I guess my one big pushback though, is if you're a, a conference that, you know, gets, eight bajillion dollars or whatever the latest TV contract is. Why can't we have little microphones in the helmets? Because like, the, if it's uh, that big of a damn deal. Because the NCAA cool. forbids it because they view it as a financial barrier for the smaller colleges. But the people who are voting on that every year are the competition committee, which is largely comprised of coaches. So you have coaches who are probably getting the advantage who are voting against it because they know that they get an advantage. Um, and so that there's the whole conspiracy theory about. Well, about cause I was going to say, I mean, what, what would it be? A hundred, hundred grand outfit, all hundred, however many D one schools there are in it. The big 10, that's like a rounding. Well, error. and I don't know, Renee, the Iowa high school just adopted the NFHS rules that allow now electric signaling for high school players. So there's a company now that makes these like wrists. It's like an Apple watch that you're a wristband that you can signal in the play. So I know a lot of high schools that are already buying that. So everybody's doing it properly to to get around this, but the NCAA. So as we know, they screw everything up. Uh, How, how are you guys feeling about all the conspiracy theories that because if Iowa wins, that would keep the big 10 out of the playoff. And so that the officials are going to be a little, flag heavy against the Hawkeyes on Saturday. I love that people are already building excuses for as why the officials are. I guess my question is how, how, how would you be able to tell if it's just normal shitty big 10 officiating or it was a nefarious purpose? (laughs) Yeah. Also, I'm out. Joel, I'm not into conspiracy theories. I'm just not. I mean, I I would just tell you. Because you're a man of science. You understand these things. Well, and I'll just tell you officials. I mean, again, watching high school football. I am one. You know, and and officials are motivated by what time am I going to be able to get in my car and go home? So if (laughs) if a kickoff is late, they get pissed off, right? And so then they call the game faster. You know, those basic things in life. And I just don't think that we would see that kind of thing going. But then again, you know, there there is enough in life to question it, right? Ronnie Harmon dropping four passes. And freaking you know, uh, the Rose Bowl. I mean, that was a head scratcher when the guy hadn't done it for you know the entire season, and you wonder whether he got paid. For it. I don't know. But uh, so Mercedes in the parking lot said maybe. Right, right. <laughs> so I, I'm still focused on let's go out there and freaking cheer our lungs out. Uh, I don't know that they'll hear us through the TV set, but you know, I mean, the boys, yeah, they do. They got nothing to lose. They really don't. Brian's on his second to last game, right? Because he. Yep. Coached, yep. You know, uh, and it's clear that, uh, as you said, the team is unified. They he they have his back. I mean, they have a lot of love for him. Look what happened last game, home game, once we clinched the, the Big Ten West. Mm-hmm. What's so, your what's your, what's your feeling on the the 
L-E-O-F-E-E hashtag that the players have adopted that's uh, a supposedly love everyone, F everyone else. Like, love each other, F everyone else. Yeah. I love it. If that's what if that's the the foxhole mentality these guys have, use it. Use all the negativity that you hear from some of your own alleged fans as, as fuel. I don't care. Whatever it takes, win a title. Oh, I agree. I mean, you know, and I, my I go back to my greatest day of fandom as an Iowa fan, which was our freaking demolition of Ohio State at home, and that started with a punch in the mouth with a pick six. So it's you know if our defense did something like that against Michigan, yeah, well yeah, because then like you said you start to sow the seeds of doubt, Joel. And if that happens, you get them to start turning on each other, second guessing themselves. Yes, we got a ball game. Yeah, I mean I know Joel mentioned that you know that the 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 organism is its whole thing, but there are parts of the organism that are stronger than others. And there's no doubt that defense is the heart and soul of this team. And I, I that's what I was going to need to ride to, if they're going to have a chance to make this a game and to win this game, uh, they're going to have to make some special plays and they're just going to have to shut down Michigan. They've, well, they've pretty much shut down everybody except for Penn state in the second half this season. Um, and you know, Maryland, Maryland slowed down Michigan. I watched that game. I was, it was, uh, I was at Georgia's eating cheeseburgers before uh, the Illinois game, and that was on. And uh, I know that was bad because I had bet on Michigan to cover. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, it, they're not an unstoppable juggernaut of awesomeness. They're, they're not. You know who you- I hope has a breakout game? Freaking Sebastian Castro. I mean, that man, he could have run a, a pick six for a touchdown, right? He just mm-hmm. was too polite and. Uh, team oriented not do it but i'm telling you if he busts out and has um you know the kind of play that he's been showing but literally you know because we how many how many picks how many picks have we had this year we've had a surprisingly low number despite and being- drop picks drop yeah. picks and tips so, they couldn't quite get yeah so if those things get held on to dude we might have something you know, and I mean, they had what thirteen PBUs against Illinois. It was like it was a, or a, it was an absurd amount of passes being broken up. But you're right, no interceptions. Um, but I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Renee Castro. To me, and talking to some people, I have some friends who are NFL scouts. They're drooling over this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can play every position. Maybe not corner in the NFL, but he can play the nickel, the dime, strong, and free safety. And he's really just this Swiss Army knife that Phil's got at his disposal. And and the fact that uh, Deshaun Lee has had two or, or three starts this year and three games where he's played meaningful snaps, I'm not as scared of of his inexperience anymore. And the other thing is that. Uh, Parker showed his brilliance is, is what did he do? He blitz backers, blitz backers, blitz backers. And what does Chubba Purdy do? Hits a quick crosser, you know, hits them where they're soft, you know, and then at the end of the game calls that fire zone and drops that D end right to where, right to where the picture had been clear. And he just, it just proves Purdy's can't beat Iowa. It's just, it's just a scientific <laughs> fact. I love it. I'm excited. I, I don't know that I've been this excited for being a 23 point underdog in my <laughs> life. Um, I had a similar feeling in my gut before that Ohio State game you mentioned, Renee. 
Um, and I've got the receipts to prove it. If you go back to the old rival site, you can see a post of mine that, you know, kind of references the Buster Douglas fight that I know somebody else referenced today, but it's, uh, there's something about Kirk Ferentz when everyone thinks that he's, he doesn't have a shot that weird stuff happens. And it's because I think they prepare so well, they just Cade, Cade McNamara said it on a podcast this week. He's like, I've never been around people who are so comfortable being uncomfortable than this, uh, this group of guys. He's like, they have, they have taught us all how to, how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that pays off. That's what I mean. That's why these guys are all going to kick ass in life. I have a feeling too, because they, they don't, it doesn't bother them to not be counted on. They, they know that they can do it. So I, I, I don't want to be the, the wet blanket at all, but I will say as a, from a fan perspective, I guess it's just being kicked in the Jimmy a couple too many times, you know, like, I was at the Rose Bowl, sent thousands of dollars to go there. And that was just, I mean, I was down seven, nothing before I got in my seats because of the horrible lines. You know, I was at the 21, uh, you know, big 10 championship game. And that was close at halftime. And then it was a debacle, you know? So, uh, you know, I guess I, it, for me, I think it is kind of a little bit of a defense mechanism. It's like, do I dare to get my hopes up high? And is it a reasonable thing to do? I, you know, but, uh, but I'm, I'm coming around your way of thinking, Joel. I, I mean, that is kind of a loser mentality. So, you know, what well, I think heck? it's a Let's fan mentality. I think it's a yeah. fan mentality. We all invest in our season tickets or our trips and our monetary, our monetized time. And Renee, you can speak to this having been a parent. How many days and experiences would you and Miguel have been able to have together? But instead he was investing that time at a practice or at a a summer workout or something like that. We all feel it in our pocketbook and it hurts us. These guys have spent time away from loved ones. They've spent time away from girlfriends. They've not gone to the fraternity party on a Thursday night because they can't, because they have invested so much in the next 60 minutes and the only guaranteed 60 minutes that any of those 125 Hawkeyes have is Saturday night. That's their only guaranteed 60 minutes that they have left. And I, I think for me, that's having lived that a little bit as a player and coach, that has become my mentality. And that's the mentality I try to pass on to my kids as fans is put yourself in their shoes. Don't make it about you, as a fan. Make it about how can I be their teammate? And that's not by booing. That's not by yelling at Brian to figure it out. It's how can I be an extension of that sideline as a fan? And maybe that's pie in the sky, Willy Wonka, whatever. I don't give a shit. That's how I approach my fandom. And I encourage you all, you will have a much more lovely experience if you try to invest yourself as an extension of the sideline and a supportive teammate than as someone who's entitled for bang for your buck for your investment to get to the game. Oh, hundred percent, man. I mean, you'd make a great hype man. Next time I see. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to hire Joel as my life coach, Renee. Oh, I'm going to have him like every morning. I'm going to have him like, give me a little recorded message to get my day started. 100% man. I mean, all I, all I had in my going through my head, Joel, as I was listening to you talk was the freaking uh, Kool-Aid dude busting through the wall. That's how you make <laughs> it feel right now. 
That was the greatest Halloween costume of my college days. Is I was the Kool Aid Man, and my buddy was a sheet that we painted like a brick wall. And he would walk yeah. into a room, and he would stand in front of me, and I would just run and knock him down and go, "Oh yeah." <laughs> That's fantastic. I'd love to see that. I mean, I can't wait for Saturday. I got the 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 pizza oven put in my my pellet grill. So we're going to have we're going to make our own pizzas. That's going to be our, our tailgating and our meal. Mm. I'm, I'm a church choir director. We're singing on Sunday. We're not singing on Saturday night. So yeah. it's uh, it's all in for it's all in for Saturday night and should be some fun football to watch the rest of the, the, the weekend. We usually do our picks right around this time. Renee, you want to stick around to pick the weekend's slot or do you need to get to bed? No, I'm good. Um, I was going to ask you guys, is the is the voting for National Coach of the Year already in or is that after this weekend? I'm sure it's already in. It might be after this weekend, but as we saw today, uh, David Braun, Northwestern's coach, was Big Ten Coach of the Year. So as much oh, as I think, man, as much as man. I think Kirk should be the guy, yeah. everyone's pretty enamored by uh, not sucking at a program that was supposed to suck. I mean, uh, all right. Gift of low expectations. Absolutely. But you got to be realistic. Iowa was predicted by many to win around nine or 10 games and win the big 10 West and with, Northwestern won one game the year before Dick can their coach brought this guy in at the last second. And all he did was get him bowl eligible by two games. That's it's a remarkable coaching job. It really is. Yeah, but he I, was. You can make an argument was, for either guy. It wasn't like he wasn't there. I mean, he'd been there since August, or he'd been there since January of the year before. I yeah, mean, he, but he's the D coordinator, so it's not like he was. He just was new to the program. I, he's a great coach, and I, I, I know him a little bit because we have some common friends at North Dakota State program. But it's, I mean. There's there's half a million dollars of NIL money sitting on a golf cart the last three games of the season for Iowa. I mean, you know, McNamara, all <laughs> Lachey and DeGene. I mean, that it's nothing short of extraordinary yes. that Iowa has done what they've done, averaging 13.4 points per game. Like it's it's a true testament to and here's the other bullshit that's going to happen. And sorry for swearing. Sharon Moore is going to win the Broyles award as the best assistant coach yep. because he's been the head coach for six games. How about we don't reward a guy for a head coach, not doing his job properly and being suspended for exactly. six games. Why don't we reward the guy who has said, Oh God, the whole universe is on fire and I got to put it out. Like <laughs> that is literally what Phil Parker's existence has been the last 24 months. It's the fire is all, I mean, he, I mean, he should be getting, you know, smoke jumpers should be bringing him in to speak <laughs> to, to their to their groups on how do you keep the morale up? Because to your point, Renee, you talked about, you know, the team staying together. And really what Iowa's got going on is Jay Higgins just needs to go to the office and say, get a seven. Just get a seven. We got it. If you can get a seven, 13, great. If we can score two touchdowns, we're going to the ship, baby. Like, that's honestly what this discussion has been. So that defense, the fact that they're willing to go, I mean, Phil Parker, they put this, you know, put a statue of Kirk if he wins, if he has the most wins, but on that statue needs to be Phil Parker and, and Norm Parker's ghost standing right behind him <laughs> because those guys are just as invested in that, in that success 
And Kirk will tell you that too. When, he, when Kirk breaks the record, the first thing he's going to talk about is all of his assistant coaches who helped him get there For and, sure. the player, and the players. Well, to me, you know, going back to the Northwestern thing, I mean, no, I give the guy credit, but it's the way I look at it is a sequence of variables. And so I think the variable in that case was the coach and the, the roster was fairly static. In other words, he didn't do it beyond and wipe out the roster and bring in a bunch of new guys. So essentially he took pieces that were already there and did a great job of utilizing those pieces. What makes what Kurt Ferentz did so exceptional, in my opinion, is, yeah, we were picked, uh, Tori, to, to have success, but that was with the assumption that the pieces right. were going to be there. So the fact that he managed to do it while the bullets were flying and guys were going down left and right, and he's putting together this ragtag muffin group of guys that have believed in themselves and have excelled, that's what makes, as a coach, that's what makes a true uh, a true master of what they are. Uh, and so I can't believe that fellow coaches, if, if they're the ones that vote for that, don't recognize that because which of us have not been in a situation where somebody suddenly goes down and then oftentimes everything goes to the crapper. Yeah. And, no, and, and I mean, one of my favorite metaphors is uh, building the uh, having to build the plane while it's in flight. And that's exactly what Kirk Ferentz did this entire year. And, and that's a great point and, and a much more difficult thing. But I think this just became a, a feel good story and a numbers thing. One win last year, seven wins this year, you know, ragtag poor little Northwestern, you know, it, it is a feel good story. And unfortunately narrative as Joel points out and is absolutely right. Narrative tends to win out over objective fact all too often. Especially when it's Chicago's big 10 team. Uh, <laughs> And I also kind of like the fact that it happened because I can tell you if I'm Kelvin Bell, who's the most underrated assistant football coach in college football, if I'm Kelvin Bell, I'm sitting in that room saying, you know what, guys, our guy, our Kirk, our head coach, he got screwed. Let's go out there and show the world why he's the coach of the year. If I'm LeVar Woods, I'm saying, let's let's do something special this weekend, boys. It now just becomes this uniquely galvanizing thing. And I'm not I'm not saying that Iowa needs that, but it's there. That fuel is now there. There's just more fuel to this combustion engine that is this cohesion that is Iowa football. No, I think they do need it, Joel. I, I mean, one of the reasons I think that Penn State throttled Iowa the way they did was intangibles. You know, they had that revenge factor. They had that built up the whole, oh, booing their injured players. They, I mean, they, they were out for blood. It was a night game. It was a whiteout. And it, they got an edge, and then they, they just exploited it. And that was by far Iowa's worst showing of the year. And I think it was in part because of the intangibles. So to beat a good, solidly disciplined and smart and talented team like Michigan, Iowa needs that extra fuel, 100%. And there's nothing better than someone who looks like Sebastian Castro, who's not a five-star physique. You, know, you look at Michigan secondary, they've got five guys who look like the statue of David. And then <laughs> you look at Iowa secondary, you got Quinn Schulte, you got Castro, you know, Cooper DeGene is, is an anomaly, but you know, there's nothing worse. If you're that five-star kid who gets your ass clocked by a guy that doesn't look like they should kick your ass and that guy doesn't help you up. He just stands up and just lines right back up to do it all over again. And that's what makes Iowa's defensive line so menacing. It's not that they get sacks. They hit running backs and quarterbacks 
hard on every play. So when the fourth quarter comes around, that bruised rib starts to feel a little bit worse. That elbow that feels like it's not bad, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to, you know, wipe tomorrow morning. It starts to creep into the fourth quarter. And that's where if Iowa can keep it close, we all agree there's there's a chance. And what wouldn't it be great to see Drew Stevens kick another walk off? And, yes. You know, kind of kind of be a full circle story. <clears throat> Heck yeah. So let's pick some games here. I'm all fired up. I gotta get to sleep at some point. All right. While you're looking up those games, I oh. do want to share my very favorite uh Scott Dockerman uh metaphor. And and he's used it a couple times, I think, but he's talked about how Iowa football is like the kind of like older, scruffy, skinny looking blue collar guy at the townie bar that, you know, some big burly guy gets in a fight with and suddenly finds himself on the floor getting his ass kicked because that guy was a wrestler in high school at 135 pounds. You know, that 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 is that is kind of the Iowa way, you know. 100%, man. It's just a Mississippi State game, uh, the Miguel's last season. That's why it drove the players uh, just, they loved it because those guys, Mississippi State guys were crowing and, you know, they had uh, three number, three first round draft picks, I think, in uh, on that team. Uh, and they were talking about how they great, they were all Americans, that whole thing. And the Iowa guys are like, well, I'm a walk on. Then after the game, holy shit, man, they had that beat and crow. They were like, yeah, boy. All right, how's that five-star guy doing now? <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely, we need that we versus they mentality, Joel. Let's make yeah, it Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's, it is so huge. Uh, speaking of we versus they, uh, so we've been, we've been doing this for several weeks now, and since we started keeping track, Tori, we have picked, you and I have picked 36 games uh, total as in the weeks. Um, you are 16 for 36. At a 44% accuracy yeah. clip. <laughs> and I am 25 for 36 at a 69% accuracy. Yeah. And I really wish I had bet these actual games in real life because if and I, I really wish I had it, I would have, I would have made some money. <laughs> so uh, Renee, my, my philosophy is I cannot be financially and emotionally invested at the same time. So I never bet on the Hawks. Um, all right. So New Mexico state, at Liberty, Liberty is a 10-point favorite, over under 54 and a half. All right, Liberty has actually been the one constant that has won me money all year long. So I am ride or die with the Liberty Flames to cover. You're taking Liberty, the Fighting Jerry Falwells, minus 10. Uh, I, I, I agree. That, that New Mexico State, although that's Jerry Kill. Mm-hmm. Oh really? Uh, yeah, Jerry kills the head coach in New Mexico State. I'm going with Jerry. I'm going with the old Pittsburgh State battle axe. Give me Jerry Kill and the New Mexico State Aggies. Boy, yeah. I mean, I know nothing about that matchup, but the minute you said, I mean, I met Coach Kill, and I have a lot of respect for him. He's a former special teamer, so I got to go with him. There we go. <laughs> You're just picking with Joel because he has a higher win percentage, Renee. You're you're no dummy. Well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if Paul <laughs> says something. See if he says something. All know. right. Oklahoma State is a 14 and a half point underdog in the Big 12 championship game against the Longhorns of Texas. Over under is 55 and a half. You go first this time, Joel. 
I'm going Cowboys. I think they cover this. I think there's a lot of hubbaloo about Texas trying to get themselves into the college football playoff. I just, anytime Mike Gundy's team seems to have uh, the spotlight on them, they, they can either, it's either feast or famine, and I'm feeling a feast coming on for the, for the uh, Okie State. Not only do I think OK State covers, I'm taking OK State money line. Oh, the Cowboys wow. win outright. Wow. What's, what are their records right now? Uh, Oklahoma State is 9-3. and three, and Texas is 11-1. and one. And te- so Texas is favored, you're saying, Joel? Yeah, Texas right. is a 14.5-point favorite. Okay. Man, I didn't realize they were that strong. Um, yeah, they beat Alabama at Bama. Holy crap. Where's the game being played? Dallas. Uh, it's in Dallas at Jerry World. I'm telling it's got to be Texas. Yeah, I, I'm going. I don't like the hook, though. I like I this. This is one of those where it's probably going to be 35 to 21 and you just get hosed on the hook. But I, I actually still think I'm got to go with Texas to cover in this great state of Texas. Mm-hmm. All right. The one that everyone is excited about because it could determine the Heisman Trophy. The Oregon Ducks look to avenge their only loss of the season against the undefeated Washington Huskies. Oregon is a nine and a half point favorite. And this game is being played at Alliance Stadium in Las Vegas. That is wild to me. That they 66 lost. and a half, 66 and a half points is the over under. Washington did look pretty. Uh, of course, that was a rivalry game against Washington State. And the last chance Washington State would ever have to get after them. Oh man, I I think I like Washington to at least cover. Um, I I think Oregon probably wins, but this this feels to me like it might be a last team with the ball wins, and that's probably going to be Oregon. So you're taking Washington to cover, though. Washington to cover, yes. Man, I I mean I don't like Oregon. I don't like how they're. Uh, I just don't like the. Uh, Huge amount of money being thrown. I just, I don't know. So I'm going to pick Washington just for emotional reasons. <laughs> always, always a good betting strategy, Renee. <laughs> Speaking from experience. <laughs> I won't go, excuse me. I won't go to money lines in a row, but I want to. Um, I will take also Washington plus nine and a half. And I have immense love for the Washington coaching staff. I'm undefeated against Kalen DeBoer when he was the head coach of the University of Sioux Falls. Um, and you're a Ryan Grubb stand. Let's be I'm honest. I'm a Ryan Grubb stand. And Bill Ennis Inge is the D coordinator for the Huskies. No way. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got lots of Iowa ties. They've got lots of connections. Um, I'm looking forward to them coming to Kinnick Stadium. I've actually already been in contact with, with the DeBoers a little bit. So we're excited Fun. to have them back in Iowa. So uh, the uh, the Washington Huskies. And I think Michael Penix throws for like 400 yards and wins the Heisman Trophy. Wow. Maction, the Mac championship game. Oh. Miami of Ohio is a seven and a half point underdog against Toledo. Oh, man. No, I. I this is no. where I need my 12 year old who watched every Mac game on every Tuesday and Wednesday night. What? The weird thing about those Mac games is it 
the records literally don't matter. Home or away doesn't matter. Like it's just it's like it's like a random generator. Like a, that never bet Mac games. They don't make any sense at all. So you're staying like, away from this, is what you're saying. This is a. Stay I mean, away. I guess I have to pick because that's what we do. Um, but where is it being played? Detroit. Yeah, Ford Field. Ford Field. Um, I'll you know pick what? first. I'm taking Toledo. Yeah, I was gonna. I I kind of like uh, what what are Toledo? The Rockets. The Rockets. The Toledo Rockets. That's right. I always get them and Akron mixed up. And the Akron they're the Zips. zips. They're the yeah, zips. they're the Zips. The and that's, that's a kangaroo. Correct. Right. Um. Yeah. What I, you know, NFL Hall of Famer went to Akron? Famous Miami Dolphin. Oh, uh, I do not know. Jason Taylor. Jason Taylor no, is an Akron Zip. Uh-huh. Oh, there you go. Well, Ben Roethlisberger went to Miami of Ohio. Yes. Sure did. Oh, so, um, well, I'm just going to do the tried and true method and do a mascot comparison. And a rocket is faster and more powerful than a hawk. So, yes, I am going with Toledo. <laughs> Miami all the way, baby. Ben there you go. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> the cradle of coaches. All right, Boise State and UNLV. All right, I've been watching a little bit of Boise State, and they've low-key been putting together some really nice games. What's the spread there? Uh, Boise State's a two-point favorite. Only two? Yeah, I'm riding with the Broncos. Man, I, I, I detest UNLV back to the days of Tom Davis when we got yes. we were smoking <laughs> and then got beat. So I, vote, I will always vote against UNLV. So go I'm going to go with UNLV because they're one of their associate ADs is a Muscatine kid. So I'm going to, oh, yeah. I'm going with the running Rebs. All like right. Approach, Joel. That's, uh, that's impressive that, you know, all that, all the, those uh, data points. I'm I'm an, I should work for the chamber of commerce for Muscatine. I know everybody. <laughs> uh, December 20th, former 12 Saturdays podcast guest Mike Bridenstine is going to be on your mama's house podcast with Tom Segura. So there's a there's a there's a promo for that too. Uh, Muscatine Muskie. Uh, Georgia Bulldogs are a six point favorite over the rolling crimson tide of Alabama. Wow, boy, neither one of them really uh, covered themselves in glory this last weekend. I, that Auburn <laughs> Alabama game had to have been. Just worst, the most the worst man-to-man coverage I've ever seen in my life. I mean, why would you only rush two people though? And then they didn't even try to rush. They just kind of played like that's no. the part that got to me. Yes. You can't do that. That was just weren't around. Yeah. That was that was disappointing. You can't um, piss on a blowtorch to put it out. That's what I've always said. There you go. Um I you know what? I, I feel like I feel like Georgia might be on a mission here. I really do. And uh, that Alabama team just does not pass the usual eye test for Alabama to me. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're full of four and five stars. They look the part, but they just seem to have a missing component. I just don't believe in them. So I, I'm going to go go dogs. Yeah, Georgia. I got to go Bama here. I had an Alabama starter jacket as a kid, so I'm going to go with Bama. Oh, God. <laughs> plus Bro, six. Plus, plus six. I don't think they'll win. I think that they'll cover. I think this is like a field goal. Yeah, I can see that. Game. Alabama has that turncoat kid, right? The kid that turned us down? 
Yeah, Proctor. He's their starting yeah. left. Oh, there's another reason to hate him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He's really kind of come into his own, too. He struggled pretty mightily at the beginning of the year, understandably, as a true freshman in the SEC. Wow. But uh, he's playing better now. Believe it or not, blocking is hard. I know that's hard for some folks wow. to understand. <laughs> you just got to get in front of the guy. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him, though. Good for Proctor. All right, let's skip over SMU and Tulane. Uh, although I guess is Padilla playing for SMU at all? Uh, former Hawkeye quarterback. Uh, oh, that's uh, a good question. I don't know, but Tulane, Tulane is my favorite point, mascot. The Green the, Wave is a five-point favorite in the whatever conference they're in. Conference. I, I'm I'm going Green Wave because they have the best mascot in college football. I gotta look at this picture for a Green Wave. What is? Oh, he's a fighting literal wave with like little eyes and like little boxing gloves. It's hilarious. <laughs> I gotta go. I'm going SMU to cover this. I just I'd... I I'd say Green Wave just because Tory. I'm I'm a Tory. <laughs> this is why my winning percentage is 44. <laughs> percent What? I picked Bama because I had a starter jacket. I thought George Teague was awesome. Uh, so the, the App State, the six and a half point underdog against the men of Troy, 52 and a half is the over under. I'm taking the under. That's too many points. Wow. For a championship game. I, App and State, I'm the only that. team that's beaten James Madison this year. I'm, I'm saying this just because I don't know anything about either of those two teams. So. 52 sounds like a lot as an Iowa fan. <laughs> Appalachian State is the one that shocked Michigan, right? Yeah. yeah. So let's go Appalachian State, man. Was that like 20 some years ago now or something? It was, it it was the same day that Iowa played Northern Illinois in Soldier Field with Jake <sighs> Christensen at the helm. Oh. Because uh, I remember sitting in the stands, like getting text updates from my childhood friend, Kristen who is a App State grad. She was sending us text messages uh, letting us know what was going on. So I'm going with the men of Boone, North Carolina as well. I'm going App, App State as a plus six and a half point underdog. Holy crap, that's the first game we've all agreed on, right? I think so. I did take the under, but... <laughs> I'll Florida, parlay with App Florida State. State and Louisville. Florida State and Louisville. Florida State's oh. a two and a half point favorite. That's that's two teams that again looked terrible last week, but Florida State was in a well, they were both big rivalry games, so I guess you throw that out a little bit. But uh Florida State has to win this game to make the CFP. So I, I think they're gonna be able to win by a field goal. That's a good motivation to go with Florida State too. I'm going with the Ville. Brome likes to <laughs> screw things up for everybody and they're gonna that's figure cool. out a way. Going to Purdue Harbor him. Yeah. God, I hate Brome. I hate him so much. <laughs> Boy, is he a good coach, though. Yeah. He's something. All right. Iowa and Michigan. 35 and a half is the over under on this. It's the first one over 30 <clears throat> in five weeks for the Hawkeyes, I think. And the Wolverines right now are sitting as a 23-point favorite. So they're not banking on Iowa scoring a lot of points. in this. No. 
And I don't think Iowa is going to score a lot of points in this game. So I would be comfortable taking the under. And I think Iowa covers. I I, I really think I, I was going to hang with them close in the in the first half. Uh, and then things are going to get away maybe a little bit in the second half. I, I But I do think Iowa can come under that number. I, you know, I see this being like 24 to 10 or something like that. Well, I mean, despite what I said earlier, I whenever it comes time to bet, I never bet against the Hawks. It just it'll never be. So Iowa wins. Money line for Renee. Boom. All right. Love it. Got a kid. I love it. I'm in the same boat. Final score 15 to 12. <laughs> Five field goals, all by Drew Stevens. Uh, three safeties and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my god. What? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, okay. So, no. Yeah. 15 to 12. No, no off no offensive touchdowns or no touchdowns were scored in the ball game. Oh my gosh. Wow. Oh my gosh. That is a bold statement. <laughs> well, I'm going to say something that I absolutely loathe when I read it on the uh message boards, but I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I, Joel, I, I will tell you, I, I don't understand people's love of betting because I, for me, I work hard for my money, so I really don't want to give it away. <laughs> so I, I get cold feet when it's like nickels and court, you know, nickels and quarters. Well, and that's the dirty little secret, Renee. Uh, like I, I talk a big game, but like I give myself a one hundred and fifty dollar uh, stake at the beginning of every football season. And once it's gone, if it's gone, I can't use it. And then whatever. So like, and I'm like, I basically just vacillate between like uh, 90 and $180 all season, just bag of betting like four or $5 at a time. So for me, it's just adds the juice when I'm watching the game, like the level of excitement I can get for somebody covering when I have $4 on it is pretty, pretty ridiculous. Well, you know, speaking of that, I want to give a shout out to, I don't even know the poster's names, but, you know, I was really impressed today by what reading people committing thousands of dollars if we win to the swarm. Yeah. That's true. If they're sincere in that, holy hell, we need that kind of initiative because I am a major, one of the early major contributors to the swarm. And I I really believe in what Brad's doing. Uh, And we need to do those kinds of things as Iowa fans to help support our program. Well, and as we enter a 18, 18 team divisionless Big Ten, yeah, if you want to play with the big boys, you're going to have to have the big money. So I'm with you on that. And I think I, I too, am a big, not big supporter of the Swarm. I am. I've been the supporter since day one um, in that the fact that uh, you ha- it just has to happen. Like it just You have to have a vehicle to do it. And I think that the Swarm Collective has tried to do it the right way um, of having a way to have some sort of all encompassing aspect. And, and Brad has actually been in contact with me. We're going to get Brad on this podcast at some point. Um, but the fact that they also have the entity that's seeking out businesses, you know, yeah. people who are like, well, how, how are we going to get the big dollars? Well, the big dollars are honestly the car dealer X's of the world saying, okay, guys. Who's your best player? We're going to give them half a mil to be our spokesperson. You know, 
how do you and how do you figure out a way like like Caleb Johnson's got this deal with Powerade like that's been done with the university's help and the swarms help I mean there's they're not the university's help but the swarms help like there's there's ways to do it I think Beth gets has bought into it as well um and I think the thing is is you you see when the coaching carousel is starting to turn we're starting to see guys say well that coach doesn't like the NIL so they're not a good fit well, guess what? No coach really likes NIL, but they all realize that they got to play in this pool now. So they're going to figure out a way to make it work. So I, I really like their approach. It. You know, the fact that they have two arms and uh, for us, by having our kid be a former walk on uh, the arm we support is that arm, which treats all the players equally. And I like the fact that for the superstars, you can use the swarm ink uh, and direct money specifically to individuals, you know? So, yeah. Well, and I think of, you know, the hometown kid here in Muscatine. Joe Wieskamp, if NIL had been around, that oh, guy yeah. would have made hundreds of thousands of dollars with the businesses here oh, yeah. in town as the, as their thing. So there's there's value. Um, and if people don't see it, I'm sorry. Sorry you don't see it. Hopefully, hopefully you will. Hopefully you will someday. Um, well, I just want to, again, thank Renee for coming on and sharing his unique and, and always interesting insights about uh, the psyche of kickers, uh, coaching uh, in Iowa football. So thank you so much, Renee. We really appreciate you being our guest this week. Uh, my pleasure, uh, Tori and Joel. You know, I think uh, I see in you kindred spirits. I mean, we love football. We love Iowa football. And we're passionate about the program. And we support Kirk Ferentz. Um, he is historic. What he's doing is historic, Joel. And I think that needs to be recognized. And uh, and I think it's a profession that you have to celebrate the people who do it the right way. Yeah. And yeah. nobody's perfect. I mean, I'm, there's blemishes on the record. Um, but for the most part, no one in the coaching profession who has ever encountered Kirk Ferentz says, you know what, that guy seems like he's a good guy, but this, the, he's kind of crooked. No, no one's ever said that about Kirk Ferentz. Well, and can we take a moment just to appreciate his uh, his his humor today during his press conference? We're recording uh, on Tuesday night, but his line about not being media darlings was just fantastic. First, he's like, "Well, maybe it's me. Maybe they don't like me," and then that is remark. I don't understand it. I mean, we've got great colors, and it's easy to spell. <laughs> that, that was fabulous. that was fabulous. So they're loose, at least. That's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. I love these still on a warpath about the Minnesota call. That was such a <laughs> bet too. Well, you know, if they actually do pull off the miracle, they do pull off the miracle. He's going to bring that up again because I mean, they, they might've had an outside shot at the freaking college playoffs. If yeah, not yeah. for that call. Yeah. No, I, I just insane. I still disagree with the, the essence uh, of the call. And I mean, the whole, you know, I know that that's a whole nother conversation, but the bottom line is, that um, there are transgressions committed in every single game on nearly every single play. And for a uh, judge in the stadium to be making that call when nobody on the field made the call is terrible optics. And that's, it just, it goes against what I know as a coach, because, you know, you accept the good along with the bad and when refs, because they're doing their best. But that's an example of overreach of uh, instant replay, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're not going to re-litigate this, but let the kids let the kids decide the game and that they had, and yep. it was taken away. Yep. 
Well, thank you so much, Renee. Oh, my pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, Joel, it's been a, a fantastic, uh, I mean, we're not done. I'm not for the season, but regular seasons in the books for the first 12 Saturdays, uh, reboot podcast it's been a pleasure working with you and hopefully we'll be uh, back next week to celebrate the shock of the world right so with that i gotta say on iowa Thank you. Yeah.